Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Why are some governments more open than others with UFO information? Is that information accurate? Is science ready to deal with UFOs? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 248th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those probing questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So, this evening, we continue our conversation with Leslie Kane. Uh, oh, you pronounce it Kane? Kane? No, it's Kane, you're right. Kane, sorry. Uh, on the subject of military officers and government officials going on the record about UFOs. Leslie is an independent investigative journalist with a background in freelance writing and radio broadcasting. She has contributed articles to dozens of publications here and abroad, and her stories have been syndicated through a number of news services. While spending many years reporting on Burma, she co-authored Burma's Revolution of the Spirit, The Struggle for Democratic Freedom and Dignity, and she has contributed essays for a number of anthologies published between 1998 and 2009. Leslie also was a producer and on-air host for a daily investigative news program on KFPA Radio in California. She began covering the UFO subject in 2000 with a feature story in the Boston Globe, followed with additional mainstream stories. In 2002, she co-founded the Coalition for Freedom of Information, or CFI, an independent alliance advocating for greater government openness and information about UFOs, and for responsible coverage by the media based on a rational and credible approach. As director of CFI, she was a plaintiff in a successful five-year Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against NASA. And in 2007, she co-organized a landmark international press conference in Washington on official UFO investigations, which received media coverage around the world. Leslie was a producer for the 2009 independent documentary, I Know What I Saw, and is currently working with Breakthrough Films on a new feature documentary. In February, she received the 2011 Researcher of the Year Award from the International UFO Congress. The book, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials, go on the record. Leslie's website, www.ufosontherecord.com. Leslie Kane, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Great to be with you guys. Thanks very much for having me on. Well, it's always a pleasure. Oh, yes. Take it away, Ben. So when you were on our New England show on uh, M- May 23rd, mm-hmm. you you told us about uh, about some officials who have come clean about UFOs, including some fighter pilots who have chased them. So mm-hmm. is there any agreement among these people about what UFOs actually are? Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, and I would say, I mean, to be honest with you, you know, uh, most of the people that have had these really close-up encounters with these objects, such as the pilots you mentioned, um, think that it's likely that they're extraterrestrial because they cannot think of any other possibility, I mean, for them. I mean, you know, you, when you eliminate and when you observe technology that is so extraordinary that it is a known fact that we simply don't have that kind of capability here on planet Earth, what options are you left with? So although, the, you know, people are hesitant, especially, you know, government officials and military people and so on are hesitant to be associated with the whole subject of the UFOs because it's got so much stigma associated with it. They're not going to come right out and say, oh, yeah, they're extraterrestrial. But they are willing to say that they think that hypothesis is a very valid one, that it needs to be, you know, these things need to be studied. We need to try and find out what they are. They can be hazardous. There's all kinds of reasons why we need to figure it, figure it out. But I think, you know, the general consensus is that there's certainly a likely possibility that they are extraterrestrial or interdimensional or something that still remains completely under, undiscovered by us. And, you know, this is coming from the higher-level people that have witnessed them and, you know, once you've seen something that extraordinary, um, it changes you, and you're really left with not a lot of options in terms of trying to explain what it might be. So I think they would, and, and many of them have actually said so in my book, and many of these people that have written chapters for my book have actually said, you know, or at least intimated that they think that's a likely 
likely what they are, and they, they've endorsed the extraterrestrial hypothesis as being an entirely valid one. So um, I'd say that's the consensus. Uh, but again, we nobody claims that they know. That's the thing. I mean, none of them, they're all very clear and conscious of the fact that we really don't know. And basically, if they're asked what they think they are, they, they just will say, I don't know, you know, because they really don't. This is an unknown, mysterious phenomenon that has not yet been identified. And they, that's basically how they perceive it. But they may have their opinions, you know, which are different. Right, they the, lean towards some lean towards the extraterrestrial explanation just for lack of anything better. Well, okay, yeah. Ben's got another question here, but I just wanted to interject. I wonder if, uh, and I'm always the you know reading on the parade here, but I wonder if perhaps the lack of explanations is not the lack of explanations, but the uh, lack of broader thinking on the part of a lot of military. I was in the military for twelve years. In the reserve capacity, but I did a lot of active duty. I even saw combat, but I mean, so, so I know how they think, and they mm-hmm. tend to be a little bit, a um, little, little bit narrow sometimes when it comes to possibilities, especially about things that aren't understood. And you mentioned interdimensional. I mean, there, there have been uh, time travel scenarios proposed. Exactly. All sorts yeah. Of, so there yeah. are all kinds of explanations other than other than extraterrestrial. But you certainly answer the question about what they think. I'm yeah, sorry. but I agree with you. They're all. I agree with you that it's that is a much broader. Mis- I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with the new book by by John Alexander, the, the Army Colonel. It. Yeah. But he makes that point that we cannot limit our our possible understanding of this phenomenon to the extraterrestrial one. I mean, he makes a point very strongly that it's much bigger than that, yeah. and it represents a much broader range of phenomena. That you know, It's very hard to just limit it by to one thing like that. Well, that's it. So, I mean, I agree with you, but I think that most people just don't have that kind of broad perspective that, that you uh, guys have because you yeah, spend we, a lot of time dealing with these subjects. Yeah, we, we think in our, in our own terms, General. Uh, okay, yeah. Ben, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So it seems that uh, South South America, especially Chile, has been a UFO hotspot lately. So what's been going on there? Um, well, let's see. Chile, you mean very recent sightings there? Because mm, right. I have to confess I'm not up on it. I, I You probably know more about what's been going on there than I do. I, oh, okay. I don't know anything that's going well, on. We, we catch, mean, catch most of the crosstalk. But. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you certainly about Chile, though, that's really important is that they have an official government agency that was set up, uh, gosh, I don't remember what year, but, you know, in fairly recent, I mean, certainly within the last 10 years, um, which is part of their, the equivalent of our FAA. It's part of their, their civil aviation branch of the government, and it's based on dealing with aviation safety cases and cases that involve, involve pilots, and they're very public about it. And, you know, the whole government, they had these ceremonies when they, uh, you know, they set it up, and then they they is a general that runs it. His name is General Ricardo Bermudez, and he wrote a chapter in my book. So there's a lot of activity in Chile. I think you're absolutely right. And they're really one of the more open countries in the world in terms of government involvement with it. Well, that's kind of uh, what we were getting at, because I did yeah. see that in your book and, and wanted to kind of draw out some <laughs> comments about Chile. being. Yeah, a- I mean, and one of the interesting things is that one of the writers from Chile in my book is, a very, is only in his early 30s, um, Ricardo, um, General Bravo, I'm just a little spacing out on the names here because uh, sometimes they get so familiar to you that you just forget what they are. But Captain Rodrigo Bravo Garrido is his name, and he's with the Aviation Army of Chile. And he's only in his early 30s, and he's very, you know, still very active. Many of the writers in my book are retired people, you know, because they don't talk about these subjects until they're retired. But what was unique about him is that he's a young man. He's actively working for the Army now. And they allowed him to write this chapter and to be entirely open about it. And he works very closely with the Air Force, the official, you know, Air Force aviation um, branch of the government that deal, does deal with this issue. So it's it's widespread throughout many agencies in the government of Chile, and they're they're really allowing their authorities to travel and be open and talk about it, which is really exceptional. Mm-hmm. Well, just uh, now speaking of not remembering things, I don't remember if I asked you this on the, the the other show, but we understand that former White House Chief of Staff John Podesta, who was in the news lately as uh, become a possible candidate for Secretary of Defense, uh, has been a great support to you in your work. How did that come about? How'd you how'd you end up uh, working? Well, that, yeah, he has been. He's just been really, really helpful, and that all started back in I think it was two thousand two when I first began working on this issue you mentioned when you were introducing me about this lawsuit against NASA. 
And what happened was I was invited by the Sci-Fi Channel at that point, which they were putting a lot of resources into kind of having a public Freedom of Information Act campaign on a, they wanted a, a UFO case. And they called on me to sort of be their their active plaintiff or, you know, person actually doing the uh, Freedom of Information Act request. And we decided to, to, to work on the Kecksburg crash case of 1965. Hmm. And so what happened was they uh, the Sci-Fi Channel hired... John Podesta's brother's public relation firm, which is, which is then was called the Podesta Mattoon firm in D.C., and it was headed by John Podesta's brother, and, and um, they were working on this campaign with us, and we knew that John Podesta had an interest in the subject. You know, he was clear public about it under Clinton when he was the chief of staff. He was sort of known as being an X-Files fan, and people would joke about it, and he has a real curiosity about the subject, so we approached him at that point, partly because we had the, you know, we had his brother's firm involved with us, so that he was very open to sort of coming on board. At that point, he came on board and started to support the initiative we were involved with, partly because he really believes in open government. I mean, it's not just about UFOs, but he believes that in a democracy, you know, it should be completely open. The public has the right to have any and all information the government has about UFOs and every other subject, unless they're some very serious national security issues attached to it, which obviously there are many documents on UFOs that, where that's not the case. So he was he's an advocate for open government. In fact, he made many reforms in the Freedom of Information Act when he was working under Clinton. He was instrumental in many of the reforms that took place. So he kind of came on our bandwagon at that point, was willing to come to some press conferences and just, you know, believed in what we were doing, basically, and stood up and, and, set, and voiced his support for it. And as we went along with the process and ended up actually involved with a lawsuit against NASA, which we'd never anticipated was going to happen, he stayed on board, he spoke out on our behalf, he you know, gave public comments when we were victorious with the lawsuit and just remained very interested in the whole process that we've been involved with. And, you know, he likes the way I approach the subject, so when I got the... the when I was working on this book, I mean, I sort of had in my mind from the beginning to ask him to... To whether he would write a foreword for it, and I waited until I had a lot of the book done, so I had something to show him, and asked him, just approached him. You know, I, I've met with him a couple times just to update him on the NASA lawsuit, and you know, he had some kind of a, he just seemed to have a lot of respect and interest in what I was doing, so he agreed quickly that he said yes, he would write this foreword, and um, that's so that's sort of the nature of the relationship I've had with him. I mean, he's not actively involved with this issue. But he's very willing to stand up and be supportive of the work that I and all the people I'm working with are doing. It's not oh, very good. Me. Okay, well, yeah. we have to take a break now. We'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. And our guest, Leslie Kane, stay with us. Join Kimmy Rose on Interviews, Thursday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. Together as a community, we will embrace the challenges in life and find a way to experience heaven on earth. Spiritual teachers and Kimmy will bring you insight on how to change your life and embrace purpose. Interviews this Thursday night starting at 9. It's all about what's within you. Running through my 
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Okay, we are back behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our guest, Leslie Kane, and our subject, UFOs and those who have associated with government and the military who have come clean on that subject. Ben has our next question. Okay, so. We got into this a little bit in our last interview, but when you interviewed high-level in, like eyewitnesses, how do they react to their UFO experiences? Fear, confusion, what? Well, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I think their initial reactions, of course, are probably involving all kinds of fear, confusion, all kinds of range of emotions. I've never been in a position of interviewing them immediately, you know, immediately after an event. So by the time I get to them, it's all calmed down and they've rash, you know, they figured it, they, they know what they're going to say. I mean, it's much more matter of fact, but many of them experience fear, confusion, and, and it, it comes through in the pieces they've written in my book. And I don't know how many, if you guys have ever heard the, with Ch- Colonel Charles Holt, who was part of the Rendlesham Forest incident in 1980 in the UK. I mean, he has an actual tape recording mm-hmm. of his that he he made a tape, you know, he had his little pocket tape recorder with him while he was observing this phenomenal UFO stuff going on. And he was talking into his tape recorder and describing it. And you can hear in his voice the intense, just, you know, confusion, all the things that you mentioned, awe, fear. And apparently there was a a stress test done on that voice tape years later, and it was a very high-level stress. Yeah. So, you know, um, when you're witnessing something you, that you don't, and you also, you feel vulnerable because you, these things appear to be, you know, so, uh, have so much more power than you do. I mean, you don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, something you, that's true. So there's, a, you know, most people are going to experience some level of fear, I think, unless the thing is really far away and they're on the ground and they're, you know, I don't, you know, I, I know a lot of the people in the Phoenix Lights incident, actually, who I've talked to, you know, in 1997, these massive, massive delta-shaped objects that were cruising over Arizona, many of them expressed not feeling any fear. The things were just kind of gliding over, and I don't, I don't know if it has to do with somehow the kind of, I don't know, for some reason, a lot of the people in that situation didn't feel fear, but I think the things were just didn't seem to have that kind of a, uh, they weren't moving around too fast, they didn't seem, they weren't beaming lights down, they weren't doing anything particularly threatening to people. You know, and Phoenix people lights, were much uh, more awestruck than they were scared. And that that's true. That. I saw them myself uh, from an airplane at one point. Oh, you the same ones? Uh, yeah. The, the Phoenix, Phoenix lights Phoenix incident? lights, yeah. And uh, Ben, and, we were on our way to San the, Diego to do a program. I was on the other side of the plane. Yeah, was Ben asleep. was on the wrong side of the plane, probably blessedly asleep, but I happened to look at him, what the heck, I knew it was Phoenix. Oh, you and, mean, did uh, you actually witness the event, the March 13th event in 1997? No, I, the date, I, I wish I had, it was, it was uh, February, but I, we got to San Diego and it was in the paper that they'd seen, uh, there'd been a sighting of the Phoenix Lights the previous night. And wow. And it was uh, extremely interesting because my feeling was, uh, 
oh, I wish I had a camera, you know. And I know. That that's another thing. factor. But I would certainly refer our listeners to our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where we have podcasts of the uh, – we did 16 hours, a uh, 16-hour series on the air about the Rendlesham case with Colonel Halt and other witnesses uh, last Fantastic. year. Fantastic. So you've certainly heard that tape, and I'm sure you've played it on the show. Oh, uh, well, you know, we, we, we've got just about every angle on that case you can think of, but uh, podcasts of that are available on our website. Anyway, Leslie, uh, Ben, you got uh, another question. Yes, here. I do. You know, some of the pilots, too, Ben. I mean, the, the two pilots that um, have written chapters in my book who actually attempted to shoot down UFOs, they oh, certainly both described the fear that they felt at the time. Um, they felt they were, they, they felt enough that, I mean, particularly the one Iranian pilot who was, these projectiles were kind of zooming towards him, and he actually felt, you know, as a matter of self-defense for him, that he had to try to shoot them down. So there's no way, you know, you're going to feel a lot of fear in situations like that. No way around it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Well, uh, go ahead, Ben. All right, so did any of them mention having other kinds of paranormal experiences during their lives, or did you get into that? Um, I didn't. You know, they really haven't mentioned that, and I can't say whether that may be still happening for them and they're not mentioning it i should you know but um it's, it's not something you know, military people would usually talk much about unless they exactly really, well yeah yeah but we exactly we, and uh, you know if i asked them i probably wouldn't have included it in my book even if i even if they had because it's just not the right kind of book for that kind of information hmm. but jim pennison who you all are so familiar with from the Rendlesham case since you've covered it so thoroughly i would say he comes the closest yeah, because of you know the possibility that there was some missing time while he was observing this craft. He doesn't quite know what happened to him. Yeah, the cold he thinks down there may have been business, yeah. exactly. I mean, all that. There's a lot of sort of weird stuff that seems to have gone on around with him. And I don't think he's sorted it all out yet, and it sort of haunts him. No, it's true. We're pursuing that with him as as we speak, and it's um, he's reluctant to talk about some of that. And uh, John Burroughs as well, because they, they they kind of had similar experiences, but they're kind of going a little bit farther as we kind of talk with them so we'll, we'll see where that good goes. but yeah uh, but i think they're, they're somewhat unusual i mean uh in mm. that you know and, and, and i i have not had heard a lot of that kind of i mean most of the you know it went yeah i just haven't heard a lot of those kinds of things described but you know the other thing is about penison and burroughs they were so close i mean they were much closer to the craft than any other case i've ever heard about and certainly any of the cases in my book penison touched so naturally since they were t- yeah exactly since one of the penison touched the thing they were standing right next to it for 45 minutes i mean they're mu- they're going to be much more vulnerable and much more likely to have some kind of strange experiences happen to them than than is a pilot you know like the alaskan pilot who's looking at it through the window and it's flying around you know in, at some distance from the plane, there. So I think that you know part of it gets depends on how close you are to the actual object, and then of course there's the whole realm of people that the ab- abduction phenomenon, people who actually report interacting with beings from the craft, and of course they have all kinds of paranormal experiences that go on. So exactly, uh, well, my but yeah, but my book really is more about specific sightings, you know, that are their irrefutable documentation of actual physical craft. Sure. And I think maybe in those situations you have less paranormal effects than you do when, when than, than when you're much closer to the object or actually interacting with beings, as some people report. Well, we're we're leading right into the next question here, which is uh, at any point when you were interviewing the eyewitnesses, uh, did their experiences at any point go beyond just sightings or aerial encounters and and get into things such as uh, closer encounters or, or or closer contacts or even abductions at any point? Uh, or was it just... No, they actually did. I mean, I think the closest thing I can come to that, you know, they really didn't. I hate to disappoint you. But, I mean, <laughs> a couple of them may have said, you know, have, have had other sightings, which sometimes makes you wonder, well, when somebody has a sighting more than once, you know, is there are there other things going on? Mm. And there could be things going on that maybe they're not aware of. I have no idea. But, no, they really they did not report any kind of, um, you know, beings or... Anything really outside of, um, you know, except for Tennyson and Burroughs, who at least raised the question of sure. other yeah. things. But uh, everybody else that I talk to is pretty much straightforward about, you know, this just concerned about reporting what happened and obtaining the data to, to make a case for the reality and the physicality of the object that they saw. That's really as far as it goes. But the, it's so convincing because the documentation is at such high levels and it's, there's so much of it. 
for these various cases that I've reported on that, it, you know, I think being able to prove the reality of a physical, a physical object in the sky that we can't explain and that demonstrates all kinds of advanced technology that we don't have is a pretty significant thing to be able to do. Ben's so, got another, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ben's got another question, but I just wanted to interject here. Do you at any point when you're talking with eyewitnesses, especially high-level ones, get the feeling that there is a certain amount of control behind what they say. In other words, they are what they're saying may have been uh, not necessarily orchestrated but limited by a higher authority. Do you get that feeling at all? I know in journalism you pick up feelings like that. Yeah, no, I mean the ones that then and again there there's others that I haven't talked to, but the ones that have really come to trust me and that I've come to know over the years and have contributed my book have I think have been completely open with me about what happened to them, and none of them have indicated that there have been any any higher-ups trying to make them not talk or trying to limit what they say, or that there, none of them have expressed any concerns about, you know, breaking some kind of security oaths or this or that. They're, they're really their own people, and I think they've really tried their best to provide as much detail and as they could in the book. And, you know, one of my jobs, because they wrote their own chapters for my book, so one of my jobs was, you know, these are people that you're, you're sort of bringing out this point. These are military people who aren't used to talking in a lot of detail about strange events and also about their emotional reactions to these events. I mean, that's not normally the way military people are. So my job as sort of the editor of this book was to try to draw out from them as much detail and as much emotion as I could in the, in the pieces that they wrote. And I think um, that's what's really quite powerful about the book is that you know, half the book is written by these guys themselves. And I think they've expressed more emotion, reaction, detail, thoughts, you know, spec, you know, ruminations about what happened to them than they ever have before mm-hmm. in the, in this book. And I think that's you know one of, it, but it is something that you really have to draw out of them. They don't, they're not naturally doing that. Mm-hmm. So, but I think the guys in this book have really made an effort to do it, and they did a great job of it. And um, they're they're free to talk about this. You know, it's interesting. Even the people that have broken so-called oaths or who have spoken out when they weren't supposed to have not faced consequences for doing that. You know, none that I know of. So I think it's, I think people are pretty free to talk about these events. Okay. But I know some, of course, won't. So. Mm, indeed. Well, Ben's got our next question. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's amazing how many different kinds of craft have been reported over the years. In your research, have you found any consistency among the craft reported by these high-level people? Um, there is a lot of variety. You're absolutely right. To me, that's one of the more baffling aspects of this whole phenomenon is the variety of types of objects that are reported. But, I mean, the most common ones that have come through the people that I've talked to are these triangular craft with these bright lights, the delta-shaped craft, which were seen over Phoenix and in the Hudson Valley during the wave in the mid-'80s, and then, of course, the flying disks, which have been around forever. It seems like the triangular craft started showing up maybe in the 70s and they're they're you know they weren't reported as frequently earlier but to, those seem like to be the main three types but you have all different sizes and all different shapes and colors and different life light formations and there's a you know triangular ones i mean it's a huge array of differences and i think it's just one of the harder things to figure out about if these, you know, and it maybe points to what you were both saying earlier about there being some much bigger explanation for this phenomenon than just simply, oh, there are extraterrestrial craft that have come from some other planet. Yeah, I guess there's, because there's there so many shapes and sizes and colors and types. Well, that's true. They must have one heck of, a heck of an exploration budget if they have so many different kind of craft and they're from one planet. We do have to take a uh, commercial break right now. We are behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us. We'll be right back with our fantastic guest, Leslie Kane. Be right back. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we are back with Leslie Kane, and we are talking about UFOs and government cover-ups. And her book, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials, go on the record. Now, Leslie, a number of investigators, including people like Ted Phillips and Philip Mantle, and we're a little concerned about Ted. I don't know if he's listening. I hope he calls in because we, he lived uh, in lives in a town in uh, Missouri that was severely damaged by tornadoes, and we haven't heard from him. We're a little bit worried. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Ted and Philip Mantle, uh, Philip Mantle being from the U.K., uh, have noted that the nature of these reported craft seems to have changed over the last 10 to 15 years, going from metallic, round, or cylindrical craft to triangular craft, as we discussed during the break, uh, with lights to just lights, almost like the orbs that the quote-unquote ghost hunters point to. What say you about this apparent evolution in the type of craft? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose there really is one. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if I can narrow it down that much, but, you know, they may look at a lot more sightings than I do. I mean, I'm just so focused on you know, certain cases and certain people that I deal with. Um, I, I, so I am aware that the triangular craft, as we said earlier, seem to come into play a little bit later. Um, and, yeah, there are these reports of these sphere, you know, these smaller round objects. Sometimes, as you're saying, pure lights. I have some reports of red round lights that zoom around. So... I think it'd be really interesting, an interesting study to try to sort of catalog. Maybe some, maybe those two guys have done some of that. Yeah, maybe. You know, to catalog the different types and, and when they, you know, when they make graphs about when they were most prominent. I mean, you'd have to have a huge database of sightings to be able to do that. Well, Ted sure has um, that, yeah. He does. And his focus, of course, is on, on physical evidence, which I exactly. think yeah, physical is, evidence is really, really important. It's true. Um, so it's a really interesting question. Um, whether there is some sort of trend that you can actually, that's real, or if people are just sort of focused more on certain types, or I really don't know what the answers are to that. Well, when um, I saw the Phoenix lights in, I believe it was 07, mm-hmm. uh, Ben and I were in a plane, we were on our way to San Diego to do a program there, and I happened, it was um, one of those red-eye flights, middle of the night, looked out, <clears throat> and there were three objects which, and of course, it's very, you know, my time in the military, I know what a flare looks like, and that's not what this was. And right. uh, it's very difficult to to judge either from the air or from the ground how, how high or how large an object really is without doing a little math. And I happen to notice these were, uh, they seem to be disc-shaped lights or just lights. And uh, they did not seem to be the triangular craft that is often seen, at least not initially, mm-hmm. because one of them broke off and went in a different direction. Another one landed. And mm-hmm. I, I would say, ballpark, I would say that we were at 33,000 feet. I'd say that these things were probably at about 10,000 feet. And I, if I had to hazard a guess, I'd say they were approximately the width of a football field. All right, now, wow. That's, and so you're saying they're independent lights. They weren't connected. Yeah, and I know that I know that that's sometimes reported in in, in these cases. You, you'll have triangular craft, seemingly, and craft that may be traveling in a triangle, but then will separate. And uh, you know, right. you, you know more about it than I do. But this is what we've heard. Well, I don't know about that, but yeah. Yeah. Well, just just uh, as a as an aside. So anyway, Ben is going to um, take us through our next question, which is. Uh, Kind of a, taking us into a new area. Okay, so what do you think of the exopolitics movement? Uh, can we come to terms with the ETs? Okay, what was the second part? Can we come to terms with yes. the ETs? Mm. Yes, it was. That's what they are. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure I understand what that second question means. Um, but but I think, you know, exopolitics, I'm, I've never really particularly felt much affinity for it because I think it's just sort of based on speculation as opposed to on facts and yeah, you know, there's a lot of projection into the future and theoretical stuff and assumptions. It's really built on a series of assumptions that have not yet that we don't know yet. Well put. I, I, yeah, and I, just, I think a yeah. lot of the people involved with it are sort of in the fringe area of the whole communities, yeah. and then they don't really don't do much service to certainly to trying to draw credibility. It doesn't bring any more credibility to the subject, I'll tell you yeah. that. I wish that weren't true, but it is. I mean, I always respect those who look for the best in a situation, and even UFOs who look for the best in others and everything. But that's not always realistic. We've had guests from time to time who were involved in the exopolitics movement, and a lot of people around the Phoenix area have used mm-hmm. the Phoenix Lights uh, affair to uh, 
to latch into the, the, this movement. You know, this is a sign that uh, we're being uh, watched in, in a benign manner and yeah, cared for. Yeah, it we're, sounds like Heaven's Gate. Yeah, well, that's what scares me. I mean, it just, it just doesn't... Yeah, there, you, just, can't, you, you can't, can't draw these conclusions based on just your sort of wishful thinking and act Absolute. like facts. That's right. I mean, that's I think right. that's what certain people do. They'll talk about them as if they're facts, and it's confusing to the, the naive person who goes on a website or something and is trying to learn something. And, you know, you can't... I just don't think it's fair to do that. Why do you think there... I mean, there are some very, very prominent people involved in this. We were invited to a... Um, a, I guess a, a, to meet someone on Long Island, we haven't gone yet, but we, we do plan to do so at some point, who uh, has a lot of money at her, her disposal and is involved with a lot of prominent people who are in the exopolitics movement. Uh, some of these people include uh, Edgar Mitchell, the uh, well-known astronaut right. of Apollo 16, I believe it was, or Apollo 14, uh, who um, had uh, an experience, uh, not not uh, surprisingly, on the moon and on the way back that uh, gave him a sort of cosmic sense, and that's good. But uh, he's one of the leaders of the exo... So, so, you know, these are not, you know, garden-variety armchair people here, so... Anyway, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't describe Edgar Mitchell as one of the leaders. What I think happened with him, this is my my perception anyway. I mean, he's is that he was invited to speak at some exopolitics events, and he accepted the invitation. And by doing so, he he sort of became associated. I don't think he really is very discriminating. You know, he's um, he he has some things to say. I mean, I remember back in the days of Stephen Greer's uh, press conference. You know, he was filmed by Greer, and he made some very strong statements about believing that the government has bodies and craft and all this stuff. And I just think, you know, when, when he's asked to sort of come into a forum, and, and I don't know, perhaps they, they offered him a nice fee to do it. I don't know. But he's just, you know, if he's invited to go somewhere and talk, he'll do it. There are a lot of people like that that just sort of float around, and they're not really discriminating. You know, well, I don't, I don't, I don't really respect the way these people are operating. Therefore, yeah. I'm not going to accept their invitation. There are a lot of people that don't discriminate like that. And then they just sort of become automatically associated with it, regardless of what their real feelings are. And they don't really care that much. Uh, you're right. Well, we had Dr. I Mitchell on the show. On. Kind, yeah. kind of ambiguous in what he said, you know, much as we respect him. Well, anyway. I, know, uh, I mean, I'm disappointed, quite honestly, in that he hasn't been more rigorous in how yeah. he, because he has a, he could make a very important contribution. And I sort of feel at this point he's gone over the edge now in terms of what he's really able to contribute just because of the points that we're making here that, you yeah. know, he's just makes the has the wrong associations and isn't really rigorous in what he's saying so this is a good word yeah yeah anyway that's, uh, a, that's what that, happens to some people that's true uh there are those who feel that it's not et we're dealing with uh that if if this is some other life form or mind form that it could be far outside our limited knowledge framework and therefore an enormous threat now we got into this a little bit in the last show but in your own I suppose you might say pan-paranormal, I should say our own pan-paranormal work, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. We find commonalities among seemingly unrelated phenomena that we find highly suspicious. Is it possible, in your opinion, that in the UFO realm, we're dealing with something so outside our understanding that whether it means it or not, could pose a significant threat to the human race, to society? Yeah, I mean, it, I think that's just a totally valid question. I, I certainly agree that it could be something way beyond our our, our ability to comprehend. I mean, maybe we, maybe we we don't have anything close to the scientific. Even if we put our best scientists on this, maybe it would be something we could never comprehend. I, I, that makes sense to me. The thing about the danger. I mean, I guess you always have to assume that there, there's that possibility because we're dealing something that we have absolutely really don't know much about. We don't know what the intentions are, the purposes are, of of the visits or whatever is going on. So I suppose there's always a sense that. Something dangerous could happen, but I also think that the, the you know the, this has been going on for many many decades, and so far nothing catastrophic has happened. Mm-hmm. So I, the generals that I've talked to and the people that you know would be concerned about national security issues and, and self defense and things like that, and re- with respect to these objects, they believe that they really are not a threat. That they, they're not hostile. That's the word they use. They believe that these there's been no hostility demonstrated by these objects, and therefore they really, I mean, although they, rep, they I, I'm, some of them will think yes, there are national security concerns that can happen, such as missile silos being shut down and things like that. But I have never heard any of them, you know, say I think we could we could possibly be under attack by these by this 
technology or in intelligence or whatever it is. I've never heard that fear expressed by these folks. Um, it certainly comes out in the movies a lot, though. It seems yeah. to be the favorite theme of movie makers. Well, which I don't quite understand, but I suppose well, there's, there's theories behind that. But we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah. Well, well I thought there's it, some kind of an acclimation program or something going on. I don't know. I don't know. Well, there, there are. Well, I mean, certainly speaking from a military standpoint, there, there are ways to be hostile that don't involve overt aggression and shooting. True, and maybe you could even, you know, if you're going to accept the all the reports we have from the abduction world, you could, you know, they certainly would feel a lot of those abductees would say, oh yes, they're 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 hostile. They're, yeah, well, you know, I, I I used to throw that out at the exopolitics people all the time. They said, oh well, it's not really what it seems to be, you know, you know, sort of. Yeah, I mean, there's these thing. people that want to believe that there's some kind of benign space brothers that are coming down to help us clean up our environment or whatever. I mean, that's just pure fantasy, in my opinion. Yeah. There's nothing. There's no evidence for that, and I just think the bottom line is this is a massive unknown. We just we don't know what could happen in the next moment, but history has shown us. All we know is what we've already seen. That's true. Well, we have to take another break here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. We'll be right back with our guest, Leslie Kane, investigative journalist, author, and UFO expert, and we will see you in a few minutes. Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we're back with our guest, investigative journalist Leslie Kane, and things related to UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record, her latest book. And Ben has another question. 
All right, so many people fear that full disclosure would destroy society and in general and religion in particular. Why do you think that? Well, I don't know if she does think that. Well, do, do you, you think, think that? that? You mean, why do I think that many people think that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, yes. <laughs> What's yeah, I mean, that? First of all, when you say disclosure, what do you? How are you actually defining that? What do you mean by that? Well, that's that, I think that's an important too. part of the. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. I basically, I have my own. I, I think I know what you mean by that, but you might want to clarify what you mean by that. That's a good question. Well, full disclosure is a kind of slogan that's thrown around that exactly. the government's going to say, okay, well, for example, we did capture a UFO and crashed UFO at Roswell in 47. We had bodies, and this is what it means. And this yeah, is what and that they are extraterrestrial and that uh, we're, gonna, we're admitting everything. That we are not alone. Thing, right? that, that sort of thing, yes. Because I, I personally don't think that's going to happen. I mean, Neither do I. Been no. for years. I mean, I, I, I don't, I really dislike the word disclosure, and I avoid it all the <laughs> time and don't like to have any relationship to that movement or... Because I think basically it's just a lot of sort of conspiracy theory. It's based on, you know, again, people claim, people have been predicting for years, oh, this year, the Obama administration, we're going to have disclosure, and then it never happens. You get sick of that, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think it's likely to happen. I don't think that's the way it's going to happen. I mean, and so, um, I forget what your question was, Ben, but I, I think that, um, you know, with a, a much saner approach, which is the one I'm taking and a lot of the, people that the high level people that I'm working with feel also is just simply that we need to get ask our government not to have disclosure, not to admit horrible things that it may have done in the past or secrets or blah blah blah. But we need to ask our government to get involved now in the actual investigation of the phenomenon so that we can figure out what it is. And whether they have some kind of secret program that's stashed away somewhere, you know, the people empowered if that indeed there is such a program our elected representatives certainly don't know about it. And so what we need to do is operate as if that doesn't exist and just get the government to be focused on doing something positive now rather than trying to sort of make them come out with information that's going to make them look bad. I mean, nobody they don't want to do that. You well, know, but if we can say, hey, we need you guys to help us carry on an international investigation, look at all these other countries that are doing it, and we need we need you because you're really important and you have a lot of resources and this is a really exciting thing and we need to discover what it is. I think that's a whole different kind of approach psychologically. Well, my, my problem with the whole disclosure thing is I don't trust the government to get anything right. You know, and I think it's touching that some people do, but I don't think that's that's the right approach personally. However, right. uh, you know, they may not even know anyway. I don't think they do. I mean, well, even I if they th have retrieved a craft, it doesn't mean that they figured out how to work it. It doesn't mean they know where it's from or what it is or a whole lot of information anyway about it. So well, why exactly. assume that? I don't even care that much. They just care more about their voters. Well, they certainly oh. don't care. I mean, that, that is absolutely true, Ben. I mean, that's the other thing. This is not high on the agenda of any politician is the no. UFO issue. Well, we're just about it's out of time. Here, Leslie, and, and a great conversation. We're definitely going to have you back, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about the book and the website. Great. Well, I appreciate that. The book is called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record, and you can get it on Amazon. It's a hardcover book with lots of color pictures and drawings and chapters written by generals and the former governor and lots of interesting people. And um, my website is ufosontherecord.com. And that has links, has information about the book. It has links to getting the book, and it's it's a, a huge discount on Amazon right now. So um, they probably have it like fifty percent off at least. So yeah, I know I just, they're. Uh, yeah, I hope people yeah. will get it. It's a really good tool to use uh, when you're dealing with people who are skeptical, who can't accept the reality of this. You know, who just poo-poo it because the book only provides the kind of information that you that is absolutely irrefutable, is solid. It doesn't have any you know, weird stuff in it, um, yet it's fascinating and it's very convincing to people who, you know, are in positions of authority and who normally don't take the subject seriously. So it's a good sure. tool for people like that. It is great. Well, thank you so much and we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. Our pleasure. Best to both of you. Okay, you. so many thanks Bye. to our producer, Will Kosnick, and we'll see you next Sunday, June 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on CBS New Sky Radio, newskyradio.com. Ben and I will welcome back award-winning science journalist Linda Moulton Howe for a continuation of our discussion about crop circles, those mysterious crop circles, and UFO crashes. That was a fascinating conversation. We hope to continue it. Absolutely. So in the meantime, tune into our New England Drive Time show on www.1240am.
Oh wait, www. <laughs> no, it's wwoon twelve forty a.m. radio and onworldwide.com at six p.m. every Monday. And remember, you can always get free podcasts of all our shows along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. Well, I'll tell you, I'll never, after this conversation with Leslie, very excellent conversation, I'll never think of this closure the same way again. I never really thought of it in the first place. Okay, well, there we go. Well, in the meantime, we leave you with a word from that charming old Greek philosopher Xenophanes. Quote, no man knows distinctly anything, and no man ever will. Unquote. Thank and thank you for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time.